This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is actor, writer, filmmaker, and producer Bobby Del Rio. Bobby, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Good. How about you? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited. For sure, for sure. And uh, let's just jump right into it. Could you give me a little brief background about yourself? Yeah, I've been an actor, writer, director for about 20 years up here in Canada, in Toronto. Uh, I do work around the world, so I've worked in the U.S. quite a bit, Mm -hmm. um, but I am based in Toronto. I also do the occasional sports writing, so, uh, you know, I've had a a couple columns the past few years. Uh, Right now I write about basketball, Mm -hmm. specifically the Toronto Raptors, but more general NBA content. And I've written about fantasy basketball. I had a column for a couple of years in the States. Gotcha. And that's, that's me, yeah. Gotcha. So so how did you get into the, the quote-unquote Hollywood scene? I mean, I guess I always knew I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Right? Ever since I was a child, I was in leading plays. And it was always, I don't know, it was always something I did. So the first U.S. movie that I did, I had a small part in a movie called Cheaters with Jeff Daniels for HBO. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure how old I was. I was 19 or 20. I was uh, in school. I was still in university in acting school, theater school. And, uh, you know, I had an Asian. I did, you know, and then, yeah, so I guess I've just been in the system over 20 years. Gotcha, gotcha. And, uh, like, what's it like to go on, like, an audition? It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I presume you've been on job interviews and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's weird because you've got this sort of like formality of the job interview, but like you're not there to like necessarily talk about what you've done. I mean, like that can happen. I'd be like, oh, why do you think you'd be good with this job? Oh, well, I think I'd be great. And you've come up with some lie that makes you sound good. You know? yeah. that, that can happen like very informally, but for the most part, you're, you have to have that same job interview energy, but you still have to be an artist. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, oh, hey, thanks for coming in. You're like, oh, no problem. And they're like, okay, go. And then it's like you've killed four teenagers. And you're like, I will find you and I will kill you. Ah. <laughs> and they're like, that was good. Thanks for coming in. Oh, no problem. See you later. You know, it's like it's weird. Like you're constantly going back and forth yeah. between energies, you know, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of like a, like a date. Like dates are kind of <laughs> weird because you have to sort of be somewhat formal and professional yeah i'm not a psychopath and i'm i'm a provider and we could have a good time together and then you also have to like demonstrate the qualities of i'm fun and aren't i so sexy right now and yeah. like you really know how to be but you know that you're being judged in every second yeah for sure so how has the change maybe since you've been at the beginning and like now auditions specifically yeah. here yeah well the big thing is that now everything is self-tape Okay. So, so you just send it in? Well, it just means, you know, like you're not usually in the room. Oh, okay. Uh, it's like you, you kind of just, like I do all these all these auditions on my phone now, and all these actors are tasked with the uh, the sort of expense and inconvenience, quite frankly, of um, having to set up your own studio in your apartment, or in some cases people will actually pay money to rent you know, essentially a studio and a studio services yeah. to make tapes. And you're not necessarily getting the gig, right? So it's like yeah. some people will pay like 60 bucks to like make this tape to try and get a job. 
and often you don't get the job. So, and especially in the self-tape world, whereas if you have to actually get 20 people into a room, you know, like you're paying for people's time and you're scheduling, you know, assistance and whatnot, like there's costs. But for self-tapes, I mean, anybody can send in a self-tape. So what happens is that now for every audition, there's like so much more competition because anybody can send in a tape. So it's harder to get jobs and it's more work. Yeah, for sure. But are they going to open the people that just, like, randomly send them into? I mean, I think it depends. I mean, for yeah. the most part, you know, like, I'm an actor member, which yeah. is, like, the, the union for professional film and television actors. Okay. It's like Canadian SAG, basically. Yeah. So the things that I audition for almost always go through agents. So there's, you know, somewhat of a vetting process. I have a good agent, right? So it's hard to, like, get with a good agency. They have to pick you, and there's a lot of people who want to go there. So then the casting directors will go to all the agents. So all the actors have already been somewhat vetted there. And then they vet them again. So it's like the quality of the agent and the quality of the actor. But now when you throw in the tapes, generally what they're doing is they're still sending it to that agent-represented pool. Um, But not always. I mean, occasionally you'll see, you know, like people will just post on their Facebook or email or something about, oh, send in a tape, but... For the most part, especially for like the real jobs, like the big jobs, for the recognized shows, it, it's all going through agents. Gotcha, gotcha. What are some of the shows and movies you've been a part of? Um, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff over 20 years. I mean, a lot of stuff is um, that we shoot up here in Canada is, is service. So basically they cast like smaller roles in larger American productions. Mm-hmm. But generally the productions that come up here are productions that are looking for a discount on cost, right? Because we have all these big subsidies. So you've got like, you know, you get sort of a lot of mid-tier movies. Like the first thing I ever did was this movie, you know, Cheaters for HBO, Chef Daniels. And then I think that same year I did a U.S. movie of the week called The Mary Kay Letourneau Story with Penelope Ann Miller. And then, you know, there's also a Canadian series up here. Like, I did a show called Instant Star that was also on, I think it's called the N Network or something in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's the same people that did Degrassi. And I did a show up here called Blue Murder. And I've done, there was a sci-fi series up here called The Dresden Files. And, you know, it just goes on and, like, yeah, yeah. lots and lots and lots of stuff, right? So what about, what, what was your favorite one so far? Or, favorite, or a couple favorites? I mean, honestly, I, the, the stuff that I prefer the most is the more independent stuff. Yeah. So right now, um, prepping to, to act in a, in a web series that was sold to television called My Roommates and Escort. Yeah. And uh, it's been one of the most successful Canadian web series. Got over like a million viewers for season one. So I'm the male lead in the show. And we're shooting up in Sault Ste. Marie in three weeks. For three weeks, so it's, you know, it's kind of a big job. But it's also like I'm, I've become friends with the creators of the show, and I just, it's mm-hmm. really good writing, and the role is good, and the people are awesome, so, and you, you said, know, to get, yeah. And you said it's coming to, what was that? Well, okay, so season one, is it's on YouTube. Oh, okay, yeah. And so for season two, uh, they've gotten more money, um... And, that, like, season one was such a big hit that it got, like, a lot of attention. Yeah. And great reviews and festival coverage and all that. So for season two, they were able to get more money. So it's going to sort of be, uh, I would imagine, like, a little more hyped 
because as you have more resources, you can do more things. Yeah, yeah, and now it's like a proper show. Like at the time, it was really just—I wouldn't say an experiment, but it was really like independent. Or now it's like, like even with my agent, you know, it was like I was talking to my agent about the job and everything, and and he was telling me how there was like a breakdown, and you know, so it's the same thing. It's like sent to all the agents, and for season one, like they didn't go through the agents. It was um, kind of like friends, right? Like it was like, hey, do you want to do this? It's like, oh, cool, I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, and then season two is already like much more of a professional experience and they're like you know oh we might be flying you to location and I was like oh what like yeah. like a plane like a, like I took the TTC last time like the subway you know yeah yeah it's funny so yeah so basically a project with friends turned into something bigger now yeah that's that's so, pretty much it yeah that's awesome uh, what do you like to do best like acting writing or producing Given those three options, uh, I think most people would concede that producing is the least fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, the most work. It's basically you're doing all the, all the logistics, all the business work, and often raising the money, sometimes spending the money. <laughs> so that's never good. Um, you do get the power that way, but it's, it's a lot of work. So I'm sort of somewhat torn between acting and writing. I mean, acting is really, really fun for me, and that's how I, that was my entry point in the industry. Mm-hmm. But as a writer, I've had quite a lot of success, first in theater for, for many years and now um, in the screenwriting world. Gotcha. What are your uh, goals for 2019? Wow, what a good question. Um, I mean, I, you know, it's such a weird industry because, like, literally, you could be doing nothing yeah. for months and then you get a call and now you're busy for the next few months. So for me, I, I really do simplify so, um, again, I'm going up to Sault Ste. Marie for three weeks this month mm-hmm. playing, you know, like a really, really, like I'm the male lead in the show. It's a pretty big part. So I just want to focus on that and do the best job I can. And, like, I know that there's going to be a marketing campaign and, like, a lot, a lot's going to happen for it. Yeah. But I can't really think about that. All I can really, it's like being an athlete. I, you know, you've interviewed a lot of athletes and stuff like that, right? And they all pretty much say the same thing. And I, I had the athlete's mentality that way as well, where I, I just focus on what I can control. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I had a few actors and actresses too on the show, and they, they pretty much say the same thing about the auditions and the workload. And just like, like you just said, like some, some months you might not be working, and you might be working for three weeks or three months or whatever. Yeah, and I think, but I think where people freak out or they burn out, I mean, I've, I've been I've tw- over 20 years professionally mm-hmm. yeah. doing this, right? Like, working with, like, around the world, some of the best people. And, uh, it, it's like some people get overwhelmed when they are always thinking big picture, I need to get here, I need to do this, and, need, and it's always like, uh... And, you, you know, the, tra- the reality is that, you know, unless you're making your own work, and, I, you know, I've done that as well, it's very random. There's so much that's out of your control. You don't know when you're going to get a job. You don't know how long the, jo- the job is going to be. Mm-hmm. As an actor, you don't even know, like, how, if they're going to keep you, you know? Like, you could have the job. You know, I remember I was in a, a commercial for a beer for Rickards Red. I don't know if you have that there. I think it's Canadian. But a couple years ago, and, uh, you know, I got paid very well. I was like, all right, I'm in this commercial. And it was pretty cool. It was like there's all this crazy stuff happens, and I come at into the end. I'm like, "Hey guys, what happened?" And it was so it's like you know it's like focus on me. Like it's kind of the the button, like the big joke of the spot. Yeah. It's, it's great. It'd be great for coverage, exposure, all this. 
so the commercial finally airs, right? And I've been I've been telling people, oh yeah, I mean this commercial is going to be great. And I watch the commercial; it's finally there, and they do the whole commercial, and it's going to go to my part. And instead, it cuts to the logo. Commercial's over. I'm like, uh, <laughs> where am I? They cut me out. They cut me out of the spot. Oh my god. So, now, they still paid me. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah, so I still made good money on it, you know. But but it's still like, oh, but I'm not in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I knew that I was in trouble on the day. Like, I was like, mm, this is suspicious. Because my part came in at the end. But I don't know if they just screwed up or whatever, but they called me in early. So in when you're on set um, as a union member, like, mm-hmm. once it gets to, like, I don't know what it is, like 10 hours or something like that. Yeah. You start you start to go into overtime, so you start to make a lot of money an hour. Gotcha. So I'm tracking how many hours. So I didn't go on set until like uh, I'd been there for twelve hours, maybe twelve and a half hours, just basically sitting in a trailer. Gotcha. So people think it's so glamorous, but I'm just sitting in this room yeah. for twelve and a half hours. Okay. So they have, but they, I don't know. Where I was, they happened to have like, like storyboards of of the shot of like 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 you know like the yeah. shots that they're gonna have for the commercial. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right. Well, I mean, I'm there for twelve and a half hours, right? So I was just looking <laughs> what's around me. Yeah. And uh, I noticed in the storyboard that my character wasn't in it, and I was like, uh, well, no, this must be a mistake. I was like, oh, well, maybe it's because they knew. I, well, they knew I was gonna be here, so they just didn't wanna have my character you know but it was like suspicious right i was like "Uh uh-oh like i think i started researching what happens if i get cut out of a commercial on google or something yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, and then i was like oh okay so they still have to pay me one cycle they have to pay me for the time they pay me so i knew whatever whatever happens i'm gonna i'm gonna make my money but but yeah no and then but sure enough they uh they didn't they just didn't use me yeah. I shot it. I recorded it. They even did it in two languages, so it was funny, right? Because yeah, yeah. we're, we're bilingual because there's English and French, so I met, like, the French version of me. So they had, like, like they, it was very weird. I was like, there was, like, four leads, so I was one of them, but they had both languages, and they would just shoot the same spots back and forth between English and French. Mm-hmm. So it would be like, English version, okay, we're done, cut, and then they would just basically get the French guys to take the spots of the English guys and then they would just go back and forth all day and then they would shoot the French guys and then replace the English guys and they would just go shot for shot essentially making two spots so they could do both languages but I remember talking to the French version of me and I told him about this, the storyboard thing and he was he was like yep he was also worried so did his part get put in or his part got cut out too well I mean I didn't see the French part but okay. you know presumably what happened to me happened to him Gotcha. That's great. That's crazy. At least you got yeah. paid, though. Yeah, no, I, paid, I got paid well. So I mean, it was good that way. But yeah. I don't know. It was kind of a bummer because yeah. you like in this commercial. It's, you know, even though I've been doing it for so long, it's still it's always fun to be on TV. You know? yeah, 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 definitely. So how how did you get into um, sports writing and basketball writing? Uh, I started doing fantasy sports. Yeah. So you know, like I've been just as a hobby, like mm-hmm. sort of like a, you know, I'm like kind of the best of fantasy sports of all my friends kind of thing. Yeah. I just love it. Like in high school, I was the guy that would just organize the baseball pool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I'm 41. I mean, we didn't even have the internet when I was in high school. Yeah. 
So, like, literally, it's like we're, like, drafting in person and writing down the names of the players. Who do you want? I'll take Joe Carter. I'll take Carlos Baerga. <laughs> and then I think the stats would be published in the newspaper for baseball once a week on Tuesdays. So what I would do is I would add up all the stats for all the players, for all the teams, by hand every Tuesday. And then one guy beat me on the last day, and then he was like, I got you. Uh, whatever. I, was like, I, I should have kicked his ass, but anyway, okay. <laughs> so, but that's what I did, my hands. So formally, I just always like enjoy doing this kind of thing. So a few years ago, I always... I just follow a lot of the prominent uh, prospect writers because I'm in a bunch of dynasty. You know, do you, are you a fantasy guy? Yeah. Okay, so I mean, I play mostly dynasty. Okay. Uh, because I I like to own it. I like to destroy somebody and steal their soul and then do it every year for the rest <laughs> of their lives. Yeah. And and also I love like prospects and rookies and you know I, I was a big card collector guy also mm-hmm. when I was in high school so. And I have an economics sort of education, so I, I kind of like the idea of treating players like stocks and bonds, yeah. even though I'm not sure how much they like it, but whatever. <laughs> so I like to, you know, like I, there's the Blue Jays had dominant performance by a rookie pitcher yesterday named Trent Thornton, yep. who was like a Houston Astros sort of minor prospect, and then our team sucks, so... He got a start and had eight strikeouts in five innings and shut out the terrible Tigers. Those guys suck. Yes. So I went and picked him up in five leagues yesterday, and we'll see if that pans out. But I like the idea of like, oh, get in on early, and now you've got, you know, whatever, the stock that can help you out forever. So I would follow all the writers who, who basically have intelligent things to say about prospects. Mm-hmm. So I believe it was John Sickles' old site, Minor League Ball, and there was um, another writer there named, uh, I think it's Ray Guilfoyle. I think that's how you say it. And I was just following him because uh, he always had really good things to say about minor league baseball prospects. And I followed him on Twitter. And then I didn't know, I guess he ran uh, a fantasy site of his own called Fate Teams, which is like a Sports Nation, like Fox yeah. offshoot, which makes sense because I believe minor league ball was Fox as well. So one day... I didn't know him, but I just followed him, and, was, and Ray just posted, hey, we're looking to hire a fantasy basketball writer, anyone interested? And, you know, I've been like a screenwriter and a playwright for, at that point, maybe 15 years. But I also was like, I love fantasy sports, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll apply, you know? And I just was like, oh, I'd, I'd be interested. And then very quickly, it's like, oh, okay, well, what's your portfolio or whatever? And I was like, uh... <laughs> It's like, well, I don't really have a portfolio, but like, I have been a screenwriter and a playwright for a long time. And, uh, and it's like, okay, well, why don't you write an article and we'll see if you're any good, right? And presumably said the same thing to other people. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then I wrote an article and it was really good. And he's like, all right, okay, let's try you out. Once you, you know, basically I was on probation. So I just write a couple more. And then uh, can you do some, you know, what would you, what would like a, like a point guard rankings look like or something? So yeah. then I did it, and it was, like, good. And he was like, okay, let's try it out. You got the job. I was like, oh, cool. So then uh, my first few jobs were basically creating rankings for all the positions. So, like, power forward, center, small forward, all this stuff. And I don't know what happened. I mean, I don't know if it was just good or if it was, like, a slow week or whatever. But I started getting my articles republished by Yahoo Sports almost immediately. Okay. Which I thought was just normal, but I don't think it is. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, 
and I, and it was like, oh, like that's kind of cool. And I told, I remember I told Ray, oh, isn't that cool that Rat- Yahoo Sports republishes us? And he's like, they do what? <laughs> Uh, and there it is. It's like Yahoo Sports. There's my name, Bobby Del Rio, and here's my rankings. And they were pretty thorough, and I had good explanations. And I was using advanced stats as well, which mm-hmm. at the time, what nobody now now uh, like it's common in basketball writing where yeah. they'll mention things like true shooting percentage and blah. blah, blah. But at the time, they, nobody was using those terms. But I started using them because I was like, I wanted my articles to stand out a little bit. Yeah. And then it was pretty cool, and I started to build a readership, and then I swear to God, I'd only been there like a month, maybe? And then I get DM'd by Andy Behrens uh, from Yahoo Sports, mm-hmm. who I didn't know at all, yeah. who, who was like kind of like my idol. Like I just loved his um, his style. He knew all his fantasy stuff. He was also hilarious. And I always read his articles for years when I was just a, a player. And then he DMs me and he's like, hey, like, we've been reading your articles and they're, they're good. Would you, would you like to compete in the Yahoo Expert League? So I got invited into the Yahoo Friends and Family League, which is basically just, you know, kind of the most well-known fantasy basketball writers in the U.S. mostly were invited to be part of this thing. And so I told my editor and he was like, well, I was like the first person at the company to ever be invited into that league. So I kept writing about it, and, blah, blah, blah. and then I ended up finishing second place, and I lost to Yahoo Scott Pianowski in the finals. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, pretty amazing. Like I kind of went from just like, oh, this is a fun hobby, to like I'll try this, to like an industry expert very quickly, and then competing against industry experts, and not only holding my own, but but really dominating that league. Yeah, for sure. So it was pretty cool. Like it. It was a, a really cool experience, and it, it started my, my sports writing career. Yeah, yeah, the power of social media, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're big into the and basketball and baseball fantasy? Yeah, I play all of them. I mean... You do American I, football, too? Yeah, and hockey up here in Canada is a big yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I, basketball is my favorite. It's my favorite sport. I think baseball might be my best because yeah. baseball is more logical statistically yeah. than basketball. Basketball is odd. You just have weird, like in baseball, you know, if a guy has a lot of home runs, he's going to get a lot of the eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and if a guy who scores a lot of runs, if he, you know, steals a lot of bases, he'll probably score more runs. And the pitcher gets a lot of strikeouts, he'll probably get more wins. Like, it's like this kind of, like, it's kind of like there's more sort of like correlated stats. Yeah, definitely. Where in basketball, it's weird, man. I mean, you got some guys. He gets a lot of rebounds and he shoots threes, but he can't hit free throws, but he gets steals. Yeah. And this guy, is, like, you know, this guy will pass the ball and he gets blocks, but he can't shoot. So you're constantly going, wait, what? Like, yeah. basketball, you have, you have to know the guys. You yeah. have to know who plays and does what. Yeah. For baseball, you don't really need to know at all. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You ready for some fun questions? I thought those were the fun questions. Oh, well, yeah. yeah were, those were too, but... <laughs> How'd you get the nickname Bob, man? So, if you ever want a nickname of your preference, just start calling yourself that. <laughs> All right. And other people will follow suit. I actually named myself during Frosh Week of undergrad when I was at U of T. During my first year for economics. And we... It was... You know, whatever, you these t-shirts, you just put, like, a name tag. It was kind of a funny design. So, I don't know why. I just wrote Bob, man. I just thought that would be interesting. 
And then, uh, I don't know, people start calling me Bob Man after a while. And then I and I did this thing in the industry where I'd write very, very formal, like, uh, emails. And then I would sign off Bob Man, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And, you know, it created some awkward situations, but I thought it was actually funny that it was awkward. Because then people would respond to me, and sometimes if they had a good sense of humor, they'd be like, hey, Bob Man. Yeah. And other people would be like, um, well... Bob, I don't know if that would be possible considering it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... So, so now, now I don't know. I just kept. I guess I've been doing it for so long that people call me Bob Man like all the time. And what do you like to do in your free time when you're not working? Who are you, my mother? <laughs> uh, I mean, this, this, you know, I don't know. I work all the time, you know. And then I guess you know, I'm always researching sports, strong sports. But then it's like I'm also a sports writer. Like I, you know, I'm gonna have a basketball column right now. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's kind of work, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I guess nothing. <laughs> now I'm going to cry. So, yeah, but the sports is the fun work. Yeah, so yeah, it doesn't feel like... Well, also, I mean, acting, acting writing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love that, too. Yeah. I work out a lot, so that... Okay, there you go. Maybe that counts as... All right, last one. Can you give me your, like, top five favorite movies ever? My favorite movie... Movies ever. Oh, man. I was also, <laughs> I was also a programmer... Uh, for five years at a festival in Toronto. So I've watched a lot of movies and very picky about movies. So it would be very, very hard for me to, you know, I'd have to take a lot of time and write a master's thesis about the five best films of all time. But I will say five of my favorite films will be from different eras because uh, I think different films uh, say different things about our culture at different times. Mm-hmm. So Citizen Kane... Um, you know, which was one of the most innovative movies of all time and still holds up today. It's a great yeah. classic film. Uh, the Godfather. Okay. Uh, maybe because I'm half Italian, but uh, I mean, you know, it changed our entire culture. Yeah. Pulp Fiction. Okay. Which I think changed the contemporary narrative. Um, basically, since Pulp Fiction, the way screenplays are written in terms of time shifting and uh, sort of accepted narratives and juxtaposition of like comedy with violence, uh, I thought I think became very very mainstream and accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it wasn't that way before. Like Pulp Fiction was quite innovative at the time, but now a lot of movies kind of employ those conventions. Um, and then I'll, I'll just throw in a couple of movies that I really enjoy. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which also I think is um, one of the most creative, you know, movies ever made in terms of uh, really everything, right? Like visually and story. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate like a complex narrative, like something that kind of shifts back and forth through time and in different ways. And um, I also really like the movie Her. Gotcha. But, yeah, that was uh, very, like a contemporary love story in a sort of sad technological way. Which I, and I think there's just going to be a lot more movies like that because I think that's where our society is headed. Yeah, definitely. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And where could they uh, find you on social media? Uh, well, um, you know, in line with what we were just talking about, my Twitter handle is at Bobman. That's probably the best way to follow what I'm doing. A lot of people are very surprised now that I'm like, how did you get at Bob Man? 
Yeah. <laughs> I actually had this guy who I guess he's a rapper who calls himself Bot Man, and he wanted to negotiate uh, <laughs> the purchase of my Twitter handle. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, ten thousand dollars. <laughs> And then he was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> there you go. At Bob Man, go follow him. At Bob Man on Twitter. <laughs> All right, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, brother. 